Welcome to the Want to Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Francis Tapon. In this episode, I have Simon and Carla Fowler of the Sailing Ocean Fox. Go to sailingoceanfox.com to learn more about them. They've got a 40-foot catamaran, the Ocean Fox, which they've been using to sail for the last three years. And it's trying to make a life, a new life for themselves, just on the water. And we talk about the ins and outs of doing that because it's one of my dreams to go sail around the Pacific Ocean and sail around the world for that matter. And I just kind of pick their brain about the challenges of doing that. And how do they buy their boat? What are some of the logistics that are involved? How is it doing it in the age of COVID? And all sorts of other issues. This episode is brought to you by my wonderful patrons at patreon.com slash ftapon please join there and also write me a review i need some more reviews please so go ahead to apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and write a review for this wander learn podcast thanks again this is france tapon encouraging you to wander and learn now enjoy this episode Welcome to the Water Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Francis Tapon. I'm here with Simon and Carla Fowler, who have been sailing the world for nearly three years on the Sailing Ocean Fox. Uh, he's from the UK originally. Uh, Carla speaks Portuguese, so therefore she's from some Portuguese-speaking place. Carla, tell us a little bit more about your background. <laughs> yeah, I born in Angola. And when I was about 10, um, it was the, the civil war there. So my parents decided to leave. I mean, they have to leave. So we came to Portugal just for a while. Uh, and then we went uh, to Brazil because my father got a job offer in Brazil. Uh, and then I stayed in Brazil. I lived in Brazil with them for about 15 years. Um, so then after that, I decided to come back to Portugal and raise my children in Portugal. So that's what I did. Okay, so I think, Carla, you're the one to blame for this crazy boat journey that you're on. So tell us a little it, bit about how this all came about. It was much, your bad idea, right? Yeah, my, I'm, I'm, I'm the guilty one. <laughs> I've got no idea why she came up with it, actually, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. I mean, we'd, uh, we'd been together for about uh, two, two and a half years. Yeah. And uh, we decided we'd get married. And... Uh, we decided we'd get married in Barbados. Um, and uh, That was yeah, your we... first mistake right there, you know, getting married. <laughs> <laughs> so we had our uh, four children there uh, who were all young adults. Uh, we've got two each. Carla got two daughters and I've got a son and a daughter. And uh, two days after we got married, we're lying on the beach on the sunbeds and all of a sudden she comes out with this idea, uh, should we sell the house and buy a yacht and go sailing? And... Uh, I have to say, I thought about it for about two seconds and said yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but hold on, hold on. I mean, had prior to marriage, Carla never even mentioned a sailing boat? We've been a weekend sailing for no, a weekend. We hadn't. Oh, no, we haven't. It was after. Yeah, that's right. That was after. Yes, no, we I mean, I had a dream uh, to, I, I'd had four uh, yachts before, although I hadn't actually been sailing for 15 years. And uh, I kind of had a dream that one day I'd like to uh, spend a summer sailing around the Mediterranean, like three months. I mean, that was my biggest goal or ambition. Um, and uh, to suddenly be confronted by this idea that we would actually sell the house and uh, buy a yacht and go off and live on it was actually uh, quite dramatic, really. Um, but uh, yeah, Carla just came out with it. I've got no idea why. Uh, it, it just, she likes wandering and uh, traveling. And uh, yeah, I guess she from, just... From there was just uh, organizing, wasn't it? Tell the children. Yeah, well, we, we kept it quiet for about uh, six months. Yes. Uh, and we were flipping some houses at the time in order to try and make enough money. And um, 
uh, we had a little family get together, a barbecue, and uh, we told them that we were going to um, sell this house that we we're in at the moment and uh, go and sail off into the sunset. And uh, they were not that amused, to be honest. No, no they said we were irresponsible teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you said exactly right. Yeah. I mean, my daughter was yeah. my daughter was quite upset. She was very worried and concerned. Yeah, because the, yeah. because we we came up with the plan that we were going to cross the oceans and things like that, and they thought it was too dangerous. Yeah. You know, just us on the sailboat. Just, and neither you of know. you had ever sailed. Yeah, I had. I, I, I haven't. Had. I'd sailed. Yeah. But my sail, sailing was really quite local um, around the south coast of England. And also I'd sailed across to France and uh, the Channel Islands. But I'd never uh, spent more than one night at sea. And, okay, uh, so let me ask you a quick question. This, um, So, Simon, the going across the English Channel to me sounds impressive. You know, that, you know it's not like... It's a bit I, tricky, actually, to be fair. Right, it's not the right. simplest bit of water to cross. Hmm. Correct. And so... Let's say on a one to ten scale, one is like sailing on a lake, for example, like a calm lake, um, and then a ten is going across the Drake's Passage down by uh, Tierra del Fuego. So, where would you put the English Channel, and where would you put, let's say, the Atlantic Ocean, and then the Pacific Ocean? Okay. Well, this is really quite varied. I'm not going to give you a straight answer, to be fair. But um, let's say you're going across to France. Uh, it's around about 60 miles, uh, point to point. Um, it's going to take you around about 10 to 12 hours. You're going to pick your day. You're not going to go in a day when the uh, the wind is really blowing and there's gales coming in. So you're going to pick your weather slot and uh, you're going to set off. You're doing around about six six knots. So you can actually have quite a nice sail going across. And therefore, I'd actually put that in about uh, level four. Um, because, you, you know, you are going to pick your weather. Uh, when you start crossing the Atlantic, uh, there's two different ways of going. You, if you're going from Europe to the Caribbean, uh, you would go south and uh, through the trade winds, which will take you down um, to Cape, uh, to uh, the Canary Islands, then down to Cape Verde, and then you'll go through the tropics uh, to the Caribbean. And that trip, you'll have the wind behind you all the way it'd be an absolutely stunning sail fantastic it'll take around about three weeks depending on how long you stop for and um i would probably say that's around about uh, a five or a six because if you go at the right time of the year there's no hurricanes it's a beautiful sail coming back across the atlantic uh you do the northern route which is uh say from the bahamas like we did up to to bermuda across to the azores but the wind weather window to do that in is quite small because um, you have to leave uh, the Caribbean before the uh, hurricane season starts in June. But June's the earliest that you want to be sailing in that part of the uh, Atlantic, really. So your weather window is quite small. There's only a few months of decent weather. And it gets very tricky. And I would say on our journey uh, back, we had some pretty uh, tough sailing conditions. I'd certainly put that up around about six or seven. Yeah. Got it. Interesting. And what about the Pacific Ocean? Well, I haven't sailed the Pacific Ocean, but my understanding is that uh, from everybody I've spoken to and what I've read is that um, if you leave uh, Panama and head down towards Australia, Australia, you go uh, by the Galapagos, Galapagos and then uh, French, French Polynesia. Polynesia. It's uh, a very, very good sail. You do it again. You choose the right time of year to do it. 
It's supposed well, to be easier than the way back from yeah, the Atlantic. Yeah, but much easier than the way back across the Atlantic. Uh, I mean, one thing about weather forecasts is that they're really only any good for about five days. And then after that, they'll give you another five days, which is a kind of judgment, and that changes. So if for a longer journey, you can't yeah. have the whole uh, forecast. For no, the, the and so you've got to take uh, what, what comes, basically. Yeah. So what we do is uh, we use a, a guy called, who's called a weather router, and uh he the one we use is uh, he lives in uh, spain he's english and uh, he sends us an email every day over the sat phone and uh, he tells us uh, the weather conditions for the next 12 for 24 hours and uh, he, he he'll give us a, a point to aim for or a point to go towards in order to give us uh, you know the best possible conditions that we can get and he's got a lot more detail than i can get over the um sat phone in way of oh weather interesting forecast. well how much does that service cost for the weather router uh the weather router is actually uh is 15 euros a day which is an absolute bargain i think and mm -hmm. uh, it's well worth it's it. well worth it okay you've got to have a sat phone um because you've got to get the information uh somehow but um that sat phone's around about uh, 150 pounds a month for the airtime. If you had internet on your boat, would you still need the weather router? Well, that is the internet on the boat, yeah. isn't it? Uh, that that um, uh, we have a system called uh, Iridium Go, Iridium Go, yep, mm -hmm. which uh, gives us internet connection. But um, we can't actually go on the web, for example. Yeah. Uh, all we could do is send emails, receive emails, and you use... can't go on Facebook or anything no. like that no. now. You just oh really? It's just but emails. They must have such internet systems yes, like a there portal. are. Uh, some friends of ours have a very nice, uh, nearly sixty-foot catamaran, and they came across the Atlantic to the Azores this year. Yeah. And he uh, had his two uh, teenage children on board. And they had a system so that they could uh, do all their home study and also they could watch Netflix right in the middle of the Atlantic. And the cost of that service was $5,000 per month. Holy yeah. cow. <laughs> so it's not for everyone. No. It's not for wow. us for sure. <laughs> no. Wow, 5000 yeah. And that was unlimited people... broadband internet. Yeah. Wow, wow. So I imagine uh, people who are listening to this in the year 2030, that they will say, God, you guys had it bad back then. Because it's, <laughs> <laughs> nowadays, it's only 50 bucks a month or whatever. Yeah, exactly. It, it will uh, be, won't it? I yeah. mean, that is the reality of it. Yeah. Is. And it will be high speed uh, wherever you are in the world. So you could yeah. be in the ocean and you could be doing a Zoom call. At, at, the right. moment, at the moment, what we have, we have to be very patient because it takes some time to yeah. get the emails and to send it. Yeah. Yeah. Where, okay. am I call where are you guys calling from right now? It's uh, we're on the south coast of Portugal, the Algarve. And uh, we're sitting in a little, um, well, it's rather a large estuary, actually, called Alvor, uh, which is mm -hmm. absolutely beautiful, absolutely stunning. And uh, we've been on the anchor now for about three days, and we're going to be here for another three days. And then we're going to go uh, along the coast to go into a marina for a few days. So where you're mooring your boat currently, it has Wi-Fi? Uh, we have uh, mobile phone uh, GSM oh, forces. I see. Okay. So there's no piping there's no through your phone. Wifi. Yeah. Okay, yeah. got it. Yeah. What a percentage of, of ports that you kind of uh, moor at do have actual Wi-Fi? Um, if you go into marinas, uh, most of the marinas tend to have Wi-Fi, but but it, it's not fast. No, it's it's not fast. It's it, it, Toppy. Oh, I'm Sorry. Uh, uh, 
it's not fast and um, we tend to use the mobile phone and depending on where you go uh, the cost is enormous changes enormously yeah depending on what country right. or what island so yeah. they almost never provided for free uh, no, 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 not not in the sort of Caribbean islands. No, they no. wouldn't be free. No. No. So, in some sense, it it seems like the sailing culture. I mean, it kind of reminds me somewhat like to the backpacking culture for those yes. people who are hiking across mountains. In the sense that you don't go sailing just like you don't go into the woods hiking in the mountains. In order to stay in touch with technology, you're kind of expected to a certain extent to like you can get technology, but it's going to cost a pretty price because that's not our priority. Well, if you ask Carla, she wants the technology all the time. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> because what we do, I mean, we have we are YouTubers, so we need we need yeah. to be connected to the world, and and we yeah. need to interact with our followers. So we need to be uh, yeah. online all the time. Yeah, we do so, as much so as it, possible. So it costs a lot of money. Yes. Yeah. But the YouTube is even is the most difficult because that's such high bandwidth. Yeah, Absolutely. we have to upload the videos and yeah. uh, we upload three videos a week. It's So it is uh, a problem. Yeah. It's always a constant problem. I mean, say, for example, a 10-minute video here on um, a, a G4 system telephone, uh, a 10-minute video would probably take us around about uh, five minutes to upload. But uh, we've been in places where that's taken 20 hours to upload. Yeah, yeah. No, I believe I mean, it. Is that uh, slow? Is that slow? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I believe it. Uh, luckily, I guess 5G is kind of rolling itself out, so that should help quite a bit. Yeah, but there's places that don't have 4G or 3G, and they're still on 2G. Yeah. And if sure. you go to uh, Cuba, for example, uh, there's no uh, mobile cellular phone system. You have to have a Wi-Fi card, and uh, there's right. little Wi-Fi hotspots all over the place, and then you can buy a card, costs a dollar. Issue yeah, and you have to be on the range of the tower, yeah. otherwise it yeah. doesn't work, so yeah. things like that. So yeah. it makes things more complicated. Yeah, Carla, what made you, where did you get this inspiration to, let's say, pop the question, say, hey, why don't we sail across the world? What Was this a childhood dream of yours that you kind of been suppressing? I have always been around the boats, uh, motor boats, uh, not sailing boats. Uh, so I always liked the sea. I always had a connection with the sea. So it was something that I always liked. And uh, um, traveling was all in my blood too. So I, I just, I don't know, I just Simon had his dream. And then I thought, why? I couldn't see work three months in the summer for us because of work. I mean, how, well, how I was going to do about work? You know, just yeah. stop working and three months later, come back and get another job. I couldn't see that working. So it just came up with this idea. And we made it work. It wasn't easy. Uh, no, it wasn't easy. Um, it was quite difficult, actually, uh, A, buying a boat, and B, uh, getting rid of everything, because we didn't want to have a huge shipping container of storage or something. So um, we gave a lot of furniture and stuff away to our family, and uh, we gave other stuff away to charity shops, and uh, left it on the pavement for people to collect, that kind of thing. To get rid of everything we had quite yeah. a short period of time to do yeah. it in as well yeah. um we have a strange thing in the uk where you sell a house but you don't know when you're moving or whether it's actually going to go through until about a week before and then oh. it's all panic so, uh, so in a week everything had to happen yeah. so yeah. it was quite oh, yeah. difficult yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wow. and the boat was in uh croatia which is um uh, down in the mediterranean and uh so uh we had to get everything that we were taking with us shipped down there and we actually got somebody from Serbia to come and collect it and take it down oh. to 
Yeah. So we thought when it went, we thought goodbye, we'll never see it again. <laughs> <laughs> but miraculously, it turned up about a week later at exactly the right time, yeah. in exactly the right place. So, uh, yeah, it was all quite exciting, actually. Yeah. And so you flew down then to Croatia or did yeah, we flew, we flew down, we didn't flew we? Down, we rented an apartment for yeah. a week because yeah. uh, the boat wasn't going to be uh, ready for another week. No, there was a few things that had to be done. Yeah. We had paperwork to deal with yeah. and uh, getting the money transferred and things like that. So, yeah. um, How did you find the boat uh, originally? Uh, well, funny enough, we were buying another boat uh, in Italy and uh, we'd actually put a deposit down on this boat and we were just finalising the agreement and then the guy pulled out. And um, so we managed to get our deposit back from the broker. Why, why did he pull out? Well, he, he had it under charter. So he, the guy owned the boat, but he had it with a charter company. And basically the charter company said to him, well, if we don't have this boat for charter this year, we're going to charge you uh, for the ah. profit. And so and he somewhere along the line, his contract with the charter company was more bulletproof than he thought. Yeah. And uh, the charter company basically didn't want to lose the boat. Yeah, so, made a lot of pressure. Yeah, yes, yeah. and he didn't want to put up with the cost, so no, he decided no. not to sell. He it. decided not to sell it in the end. So we didn't sleep for a few days until yeah. the until we had the, our money back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, we were scanning through the internet, and this particular boat, Ocean Fox, came up, and it was in Croatia. And uh, this was about ten days before we were going to uh, uh, leave the house. And um, oh uh, wow, so you were really down to the wire, yeah. Just... We were down yeah, to the we wire, but Carla was still God. working, and uh, she said, Okay, you go to Croatia and don't come back unless you've bought it. And that was my instruction, so <laughs> <laughs> one way trip, <laughs> it was, it was. and um, yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, the, the snow and ice was on the roads when I went down there, it was that cold. So, you bought it after you did get to see it in person before you bought it. I did, Carla didn't, he didn't, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and and so, what website did you use? Uh, I, can't, I can't actually remember, but there's a lot of international boat, uh, uh, websites like yachts.com and uh, boats.com and things like that, where you can search for boats. And we pretty well got it uh, refined what type of boat we wanted. For example, yeah. we wanted a catamaran, and then once we decided we we're going to have a catamaran, we decided we wanted a lagoon, which is a French brand of catamarans. And Why did you? Want we, the went, we went to a boat show and uh, we saw all of them and we saw the differences between them. Yeah. So that's when we decided we wanted the lagoon. Yeah. yeah. And also we felt that um, it, it uh, even though it's one of the biggest production boats in the world, um, uh, it uh, is well built, I think, and it's certainly been tested with us. Um, but also it's got a good resale value. Yeah. Today's show is brought to you by Sawyer. Sawyer's the same guys that make the micro filters and water filters. Are you aware that Lyme disease, which is spread by ticks, is the fastest growing infectious disease in the United States and has been found in all 50 states? Lyme disease can cause neurological disorders such as Bell's palsy, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, and even severe allergies to red meat. That will make you a vegan. You never got to watch out for that. Sawyer helps keep you safe. Sawyer's permethrin insect repellent repels and kills ticks, mosquitoes, and more than 55 other types of insects. It is designed for shoes, clothing, backpacks, and other outdoor gear, and will even be safe for your dog. It provides an odorless barrier for protection that lasts for up to six weeks and can go through the washing machine six times. If you use Sawyer's permethrin on your shoes, 
that makes you 74 times less likely to be bitten by a tick. So check them out. Thanks to my sponsorship and be safe out there from the coronavirus and Lyme disease. When I hear biggest production boat, I actually think that's a good thing because it reminds me of, let's say, having a Toyota in Africa. It's just you're going to find spare parts everywhere. You're going to see it everywhere. Every, all the mechanics are familiar with it. It's That's the advantage. And it's very good uh, Facebook groups and things uh, for right. each particular model of the of the boat and owners help each other out. What and, is and special like about the Lagoon? I think uh, they're probably, uh, uh, well, first of all, I think they're probably built better than some of the other catamarans. Secondly, they're, uh, they're definitely a very uh, cruiser orientated and roomy boat. So very comfort. Got, yeah, it, it is. You have to remember, even though we've done 22 or 23,000 nautical miles at sea over the last three years, we spend an awful lot of time sitting around at the anchor, enjoying the place or sitting in the marina. And the actual time that you're spending uh, sailing or traveling is much smaller. It's probably only around about 10 or 15 percent of the time. Mm -hmm. So you spend a lot of time uh, especially in the Caribbean at anchor, don't you? Mm -hmm. And uh, you basically want somewhere that's uh, really comfortable. Uh, it's got big, uh, big lounges, places to sit, places to see out, and things like that. And that's kind of what went for us. Um, appeal for it, yeah. I see. Understood. Um, what lessons did you learn from buying a boat that you could pass on to the listeners? Well, it's very stressful. It's very stressful. <laughs> <laughs> Extremely stressful. It's not very I easy. I never thought you said you have the money. You want to buy a boat, it's an expensive thing to buy, and it's so hard to do it. Yeah, I think you need to set a budget. Um, we set a budget originally, and uh, we completely blew our budget uh, when we decided, first of all, we're going to have a monohull, and we're probably going to spend about 125,000 euros on one. And in the end, we bought a catamaran, and it was double that price, uh, just to put it in perspective. Right, right, right. But I think you really need to get to your budget and be realistic about it. Then probably add at least another twenty or thirty thousand pound, uh, pounds or euros on to do uh, modifications to it because uh, a lot of boats aren't actually geared up for um, living in isolation, living offshore uh, in a way. This, this was geared up to for weekend sailing, so yeah. it wasn't for distance sailing, and yeah. we wanted to distance sailing, so we had to add like a water maker, uh, another plotter. Uh, uh, we had to add, uh, 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 they will come with showers. Uh, we had to add um, uh, uh, generator. We had to add uh, a wind turbine to help generate electricity yeah. and things but like that. So why couldn't you just buy a boat that already is outfitted that way? Well, that would have been a possibility, but we were struggling to find a boat in the first place in the time scale that we had. So, um, and there was a lot of good things about this boat. Um, okay, it didn't have a freezer, but it had two fridges. Uh, the, the winches that um, pull the sails up and down and things like that, they were all electric on this boat, which they weren't on uh, on most of them. Um, it had been professionally maintained from new. It had never been chartered. So there was a lot of good things to take into consideration with this particular boat. And so inevitably, I think when you buy a boat, you're going to add on uh, some extras to customise it to the way you like it. It's not quite the same as buying a car and sticking a roof rack on, you know, it's sort of kind of like a bit more uh, complicated than that. And it, we wanted to live as much as possible off grid. And we can pretty well do that. We don't really yeah. need to do anything apart from uh, generate some hot water. But if you're in the tropics, you don't need hot water. No, no, so. yeah. So you, we can easily stay like three months off the grid and it's fine, as yeah. long as we have internet. 
Yeah. Okay, so you don't have solar panels. Yeah, we have. Solar yeah, panels. we do solar. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so the solar panels and the wind turbine uh, could create enough uh, um, electricity, and the water maker produces enough water, so that uh, we've got water and we've got electricity. Okay, and so the only thing that you need, let's say, fuel for is either moving the boat with, yeah. if you're using by motor. Uh, yeah, yeah, imagine you have a motor. Yes. Um, and then the other thing is to heat up hot water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Uh, the only way we can get hot water is by using the engine or the starboard engine. We've got two engines. Uh, or uh, when the boat is in the marina, we plug it into an electrical supply, and uh, then it um, automatically, uh, you know, makes hot water. I see. Okay. Okay. So now, if you had solar panels or a wind turbine. Could you? Could it be feasible if you just, let's say, had more solar panels or a bigger t wind turbine? You could generate that hot water without. Yeah, we could. Um, there's, there's two things we would have to change. We'd have to increase our. Uh, we've got around about 500 um, watts of solar panel. We'd have to at least double it, or uh, even get it up to about uh, 2,000 uh, watts. Um, that would give us a lot more uh, electricity because solar doesn't work 24 hours a day. It only really works in a, a slot depending on where you are in the world, because it basically has to have the sun above it. So you don't get full 10 hours or 12 hours of uh, electricity. You might get a little dribble, but you don't get that much. Um, and so you've got to get a lot of solar to get the intensity on it and to get the, the amps going into the batteries. The other thing we would have to change is the uh, battery bank. We've got some um, uh, quite sophisticated AGM gel batteries, um, 880 amp hours uh, worth. But uh, we would have to change them to lithium and uh, probably need a thousand uh, amp hours of lithium. Uh, and then uh, another thing that we have is we have a, a three kilowatt inverter. So we can change our 12 volt electricity or 12 volt DC electricity into 220 volts AC. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then we could actually use it to heat the water. Got it. Okay, interesting. Well, I guess the other solution, what I do when I'm camping is, you know, you can have a black bag that's yeah. uh, just, if you put it outside in the sun it, yeah, and it's filled yeah. up with water, it will certainly warm up the water quite a bit to the point of scalding in certain exactly. temperatures. That's it another will. solution. Yeah. Yeah. But quite honestly, once you're down in the tropics, you really yeah, you don't need, need it. it. Right. Yeah. it, it yeah. Cold water is fine for showering. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. No, I know that because all my time in Africa, I was quite happy yeah. to take a cold. And sometimes yeah. it was, yeah. I remember in Sudan, in the, in the hottest time of year in Sudan, I turned on the water and it was so hot. It was scalding. I had to wait until it cooled down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I could imagine. Because they put the, the water uh, tank up on the roof of the, so it's just getting the first, anyway, the first pipe. So now you guys, now some of the misconceptions people have about sailors uh, that they are wealthy and rich and that kind of stuff, but you're not. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yeah. how you had to finance this somehow when you have a modest income or savings. Well, we have to sell, we had we had to sell, sell our house. Yeah, we had to sell our houses. We yeah. had to sell our cars, yeah. and we had to kind of uh, make get as much money as we possibly could up together. Yeah. Um, and uh, we basically uh, survive off uh, our YouTube channel and uh, writing articles, and uh, also we do take 
um, uh, people on board as well for a, what we call a liverboard experience. So um, people can uh, contact us through our website and uh, they can come and spend a week on the boat and actually learn. It's not like a charter. It's, it's not just, a charter. No. It's just like living the, the boat life yeah. as we do. It's just Is it like an Airbnb long. kind of thing? It's like for boats? Uh, yeah, but it is. It is, but it, it, it's all about uh, finding out the technical things about living on board. So if you were been thinking about having this lifestyle you could come and spend a week with us you would learn about anchoring you'd learn about uh using the tender going ashore going shopping hunting out for propane um all the things that uh, anything that comes up so if there's a toilet blockage that week um then uh, you'll learn about how to clear the toilet blockage for example mm -hmm. so it's a real sort of hands-on experience mm -hmm. as opposed to uh sort of uh sun sunning yourself on the full deck and uh, enjoying the week Yes. And how much so, do you charge for that experience? Uh, or do you have different options? Uh, we charge about $5,000. $5,000 for two people for a week. And that's all inclusive. All inclusive. Yeah. Yeah. Less I see. Okay, got yeah. it. So yeah. basically $2,500 per person in this case. But um, yeah. and it's yeah. for somebody who wants to spend a week on a boat and have a real life experience experience yeah. yes and, like and going to go, going to a new place and learn where you go and buy some bread or go for right. groceries you know because every time we arrive in a place it's a new place for us we have to learn everything about that place yeah and also so, things like checking into a country and checking yeah, out of a country uh we try to include that in it as well so they can see how the uh, paperwork's done uh, passports and uh, immigration and all that sort of thing which is slightly right. different to turning up at an airport uh, somewhere do you have for these people who let's say want to kind of experience that, i imagine some people just want to just kick back and relax other people really want to know the nuts and bolts of how do you you know fix the engine and the motor and all that stuff and, and so you leave it up to the individual i imagine um, we have a sort of uh we design a sort of program for the week but if there was something specifically that they, they wanted want to find to know, out yeah. then we would include we it yeah. Yes. yeah okay so they want to go includes, to let's say navigation and how to yeah. you know get yes. around yeah and, I mean, all the navigation, uh, I can actually use a sextant and uh, take a, a noon site and uh, work out where I am in the world. But um, typically all the uh, navigation is done on electronic uh, rolling charts. And sure. uh, it kind of the same sort of thing you do in your car, really, except there aren't any roads. Um, and uh, via GPS, yeah. yeah. Right. Is What was for you the most difficult part of sailing that was not expected that was difficult obviously maybe buying a boat was more difficult than you expected yeah. but um, once you had the boat uh, what is the most difficult thing about living the sailing life i get very seasick very very seasick which i wasn't at the beginning it's getting worse uh, all the time so it is hard for me it's really really complicated because uh, the first two days when we go out sailing the first two days i'm literally lying down and throwing up uh, is I tried all the medications, everything possible, uh, nothing works for me. Uh, it, so that, that is complicated because then Simon is left alone to do all the work. Uh, obviously, if it's any stress or anything, I have to get up and do it. Um, I think I think for me there's two things. One is that uh, it doesn't matter how well you keep your boat, and uh, if if you watched our videos, uh, and there's over 200 videos we've made over the last couple of years, uh, we show a lot of maintenance. In fact, nearly all the maintenance that we do on the boat. But the damn boat keeps breaking. It doesn't matter 
how good it is. Uh, even brand new boats break. And uh, it's one of the things us boaters are always saying, what's broken this week, you know. Uh, <laughs> that just seems to go on like that. But also, um, I found the offshore sailing it's quite stressful, actually. Um, you know, you can't drop the anchor in the middle of the ocean. The ocean's a couple of miles deep, so we've only got 100 metres of anchor chain. So uh, there's no way in the world it can go down that far. So you have to keep going, basically, and you just keep sailing. And so... Uh, nights are very difficult yeah, for us, for yeah, both of us. Yeah. yeah, we don't like to do the nights, uh, yeah. and we obviously have to do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we basically yeah. split the night into four shifts of three hours. Yeah. Uh, Carla does the first three hours at seven o'clock, and then we rotate. Uh, through to seven o'clock in the morning um, but you're actually sailing along and you can't see anything there's nothing out there to see um, uh, and so if you were to come across something like a shipping container or a tree trunk or whale. a whale or something like that uh, you you're gonna, just hit you're it. gonna hit it yeah, even if you are on watch you're gonna hit you're it gonna because you can't see anything yeah. You are on watch just to see if the wind changes, if the sails need some uh, adjustment. Yeah. Just to... I mean, we get a, we get information on other uh, boats and ships. So first of all, all uh, ships and boats vessels have uh, navigation lights, but also everything um, from around about our size of uh, yacht upwards, we have to have a thing called AIS, which is a, a system that comes up on our um, plotter, which actually shows you uh, where another vessel is, uh, the name of the vessel. Uh, direction it's going, its speed, and its final destination. So it'll also tell us whether we're going to cross paths and how close we're going to come. And um, that's uh, uh, extremely useful for safety. Uh, for I imagine. So it has. Doing. it's basically a radar. Uh, no, it takes it um, uh, over the VHF uh, radio oh, system. I see. So okay. it, uh, yeah, yeah. So then, so, and what's the name of that system? It's called AIS. AIS. And so uh, not all boats are equipped with that, but if you are, no. then it helps. Yeah, you find a lot of fishing boats don't have it, um, smallish fishing boats, and they can be quite difficult sometimes because they don't go in a straight line. They kind of zig around them. But I imagine you've never direction. actually hit anything, have you? No, we, uh, well, we hit a lump of coral once, but uh, that was under the water. Well, we've never hit a, uh, another vessel. Mm. Um, we've had a few. I mean, if they're if these, I mean, we're talking about super tankers and, and cruise liners here when you're out in the middle of the ocean. I mean, if one of those is coming within a mile of us, um, I would radio them up on the radio and uh, ask them whether they knew that we were here, because they may not know, they may have missed us, um, just to make sure they know, because actually they have to give way to us. Um, and uh, most of them are really good. You can actually see them change their course to give you a little bit more space. And uh, they normally come on the radio and talk to you and have a little chat. Oh, cool. <laughs> that's, uh, that's convenient. Um, yeah. What about the... The other challenges or the advice that you would give to somebody who's thinking about copying your life and saying, wow, you know, despite the challenges, you know, it sounds so great. I would love to do this. What would you advise them to do? Go and have a course first. Learn how to sail. Yeah, learn how to sail. sail. Get a bit of experience. And gradually... A lot of people just go on the life and they don't really know how to sail and it's dangerous. Yeah. It yeah. is a dangerous life. You need to know what yeah. to do. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know how to sail, but Simon is an experienced sailor. So I'm fine with him. Now I can I learn yeah, the you're, world. You're good. Yeah. 
but uh, yeah, you need to learn before you go. Before buy a book, just learn, have some experience before. That's the first uh, advice. Isn't it, it? it it is an amazing lifestyle. I mean, it is out of this world. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, sometimes you just kick yourself because you think this is so stunningly beautiful where we are, and it's not like going uh, and seeing a country and landing at an airport. And then you get a taxi to a hotel and you go to the beach. You're seeing the real place. You're mixing with the real people. Um, you're anchoring in places that most people would never, ever get to go. And uh, the sunsets and the sunrises. And also the community. The community is absolutely fantastic. I mean, uh, it's so easy to go uh, across to another boat. And uh, we might well pick a British boat because uh, they speak English. But uh, we go along, knock on the side of the boat and say, hi, I'm Simon, I'm Carla. Uh, fancy coming over some drinks later tonight for the sunset, you know, when people just rock up and bring a bottle of wine or a few beers or because something. Because it was one of the first uh, worries we had at the beginning. We were very social and we, uh, we left our friends in the UK. And uh, how are we going to do? Are we, we going to miss the friends? How we, how is it going to happen? Mm. But we we fast learned that yeah. uh, it's, it's very, easy, very to make, easy to make friends. Uh, we've been on this coast of Portugal for about six weeks now. And we know so many people. So many people, yeah. 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 It's incredible. Is there any tension or rivalry between people who have motor yachts versus sailing yachts? No, I don't think so, actually. Mm. I think that's a bit of a myth. Uh, there could be, uh, I suppose, if I go to my, back to my days in the Solent, which is an area of the uh, south coast of England by the Isle of Wight, and uh, it's one of the busiest sailing areas in the world. And then you get the big powerboat guys uh, coming through and creating a big wash and things like that. But um, I think when you actually get out to the more remote places in the world, you don't get the power boats because mm -hmm. uh, they simply can't get there. It would be too expensive. I mean, you can't take one of these, uh, what we call gym palaces across the ocean because they can't carry enough fuel uh, to do mm -hmm. two or 3,000 miles. So once you get out and going on these sort of trips, um, really you only see uh, power boats or local boats, local fishermen and things like that. Right, interesting. Um, wow, so I'm very... Uh, excited to talk with you guys because this is one of my dreams myself at some point in my in well you need to sell up and get on with it because i could tell you you'll regret <laughs> not doing it sooner rather than later <laughs> that's true it's true no i i definitely have to do it I, and i am also with you i agree that the catamarans are the best uh for, yeah i think and having uh, something that's livable yeah, the, the, uh, there's a lot of conversations we sailors have about which is the best monohulls or catamarans. And we, we have a friends here, a couple. They they bought their boat two years ago in the UK. So they were weekend sailors for two years, and their boat were fine. It was a new boat. They absolutely loved their boat. And they started the journey three months ago. And they just arrived here in Portugal, and they realized they have the wrong boat for the journey. Yeah. So they're gonna they put the boat on the market and they're buying a catamaran. It's kind of like so, getting the right tool for the job. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And actually, if you're gonna live on board and you're going to cruise the trade winds, uh, which is from Europe down across the Caribbean, uh, then on down towards um, uh, Australia, New Zealand, that sort of thing, uh, the wind is generally behind you, and uh, catamarans go really well uh, downwind, and they're very smooth um, as they do it. Uh, if you're going into the wind in a catamaran, it does get a bit lumpy and uncomfortable and it doesn't do the job anywhere near as well. So it's a matter of choosing your your, your, your tool. I mean, I don't think I'd go down to Terra de Fuego in that, for example. <laughs> Just be better off in a monohull. <laughs> right. 
Um, do you have plans to go to the Pacific Ocean? Uh, we, we did had. originally, yes, we had. We had. Yes, that was our plan. And uh, as we got further and further away from home, uh, time zone wise, um, we started to realize by the time we were in Colombia that, um, you know, it's getting quite difficult to start speaking to the children about five, six hours out. And from here, it's only going to deteriorate. And also, once we go through the Panama Canal um, and go out towards Galapagos or wherever, uh, the time zones will get worse for us. Uh, for the children and also the distance involved in getting back it starts to get more complicated and for them to visit us because they come and visit us quite a lot so it was it's going to be more difficult yeah so them. we also uh we saw an awful lot of the caribbean as a whole not just like the uh, lesser antilles uh, but we went all over to uh, panama cuba mexico and so uh we kind of got quite used to the third world uh type place and uh, to be honest, I think we got a bit third world out and, and we, we felt started to feel that uh, we would be happier back in the Mediterranean where um, there's a lot more culture around, a lot more interesting uh, archaeological sites to go and look at and uh, some fantastic uh, sailing and some fantastic waters. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we decided to do. What is the expenses look like for somebody? Because I imagine being in a third world country, in exp- low income country, it's going to be much cheaper to moor your boat at uh, some sort of well, at a that, marina. That, 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 <laughs> depends. Was that, a myth? that depends. If you are in the Caribbean, you don't have many choices uh, no. in terms of marine. In, in the actual Caribbean itself, uh, what we call the Caribbean islands, from, from Grenada, say, up to the BVIs or the Bahamas, there aren't actually that many marinas. And in fact, a lot of the islands don't have a marina. So your only option is to take a mooring buoy if there is one available or to drop your anchor. And uh, generally, as about boaters, we prefer to be on the anchor because uh, generally we don't pay for it. And uh, if you're in the BVIs, for example, uh, they'll charge you $10 a night for a mooring buoy. Well, that's OK. If you're on your one week charter, 30, you just spent $30 a night. Sorry, $30 a night. So if you're on your uh, one week charter, uh, you pay $200. But for us, it's an awful lot of money uh, for a month it really does start to add up. So uh, we all tend to go to places where we can just uh, anchor. Mm-hmm. If you took, um, uh, going to food, for example, and talking about food, uh, we were, couldn't believe the prices we were paying uh, in the sort of Caribbean islands. Places like uh, Mexico, uh, Panama, uh, Colombia were all relatively cheap, cheap yes. uh, certainly on a, on a par with Europe. But we've just uh, made a, a video uh, about the cost of food in comparison. And we were looking at some things. And if you took, for example, um, the Bahamas, Cayman, Bermuda, uh, you'd be paying something in the region of about $5 for a pint of milk there. $7 for a loaf of bread. And yeah. here is 50 cents. Yeah. Right. And here is 50 right. cents. Yeah, right. And I so, know that Angola as, as or Luanda, the capital there, was rated the most expensive expensive city, in the city world, for yeah. expatriates to live in mm-hmm. and yeah. uh it's i can confirm that uh, it I, was... I, I don't find it makes any sense really do you know right. what i mean <laughs> you know because they probably grow oranges in their backyards you know and they've got chickens everywhere i think but, what it so... is simon is that with regard to angola for example i think it's the most expensive place for expatriates to live because expatriates expats they like to go to their market to buy their kellogg's of you know whatever cereal and 
if you want to buy bananas, you can buy them in Angola easily, even in the streets of Luanda, but you just have to go to the right local supermarket. You don't go to where all the foreigners, the expats go to shop. And then you'll see a big, the normal price of a banana or whatever, or things that are grown locally, like a papaya. Uh, and and when like they that. see uh, you white European, they probably stick the price up by double. <laughs> well, it's not, it's, it depends if it's, if it's a, if it's a local market, the prices are there. And so, yeah. um, uh, but you're right. Maybe if you're buying it from the street of a vendor who doesn't even have a sign up for the price, then yeah, he might. But even his price, when he doubles it, will be cheaper than, cheaper the, than the supermarket. The, yeah. the supermarket that's designed for expatriates. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but what? Uh, so you're saying that you drop anchor. So your monthly expenses are what exactly? Well, I mean, you're just spending a few hundred dollars a month to. I, mean, I would say food. Um, well, uh, well, it's it's food, it's insurance. Yeah, insurance. Uh, it's, um, How much uh, is insurance, for example, on a boat that costs two hundred thousand dollars? Depends where you are in the world. Yes. Yeah. So in the oh, Mediterranean, wait. What, 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 what? you don't have to. You have to. You can't get an insurance that's global. No, no, no. They, they split the world up into different areas. So, for example, um, we would have uh, what we call in the UK uh, Brest Elbe. So that would be from uh, Brest on the uh, French Peninsula all the way along the the English Channel up to the Elbe uh, River in Germany. And so that would be one zone. And another zone, for example, uh, is from uh, Gibraltar uh, through the Mediterranean to Rhodes. And then Turkey is sort of added on the end. Once you cross the Atlantic to the Caribbean, it just doubles. Well, it doesn't, it triples almost. Because triples, we were yeah. paying uh, 1,200 euros in the, in the Mediterranean per year for insurance. And uh, in the Caribbean, uh, we were paying about three thousand six hundred. Yes, three thousand six hundred for a year. Yeah, for a year. Yes. Wow. Yes. And so, can you use the same insurance company and just yes. change the yes. rate depending yeah. on where yes. you are? Yes. That's what you yes. do. Yes. So, exactly. like the so, give me a, the range. Is the high end five thousand dollars a year and the low well, end? Well, when we went, when you go out to uh, 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 the Pacific, it went up to about. And that's a function and because I assume maybe in the Pacific there's more accidents and more things happen that are Yeah, I think the risk is higher too than there's uh bigger stretches of water. Um, you know, you have to go three weeks between islands and things like that. And right. there's less chance of getting a boat repaired anywhere. So uh the risk of something happening to it means that, you know, the cost to get it repaired would be much more for them. Okay, so we're looking at insurance costs of roughly three thousand dollars a yeah. year, or something like yeah. that, which yeah. is like rent in London. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, well, uh, for well, one well, month. Well, yeah, I was um, going to say yes, yeah. a lot more in London. <laughs> um, generally speaking, we try, we work on around about a thousand dollars a month, don't we? Yeah, twelve hundred euros. Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay, okay, okay. Is it is it hard to be subject to the vagaries of the YouTube algorithm and the struggle to that? What have you found? the most successful videos that you've made, the ones that have been shared the most, viewed the most, what, is there a formula or does it feel yeah. random? Well, yeah. if there is a for formula, we haven't found it. We haven't found it yet, but if you actually go through the uh, videos and look at the titles, the ones with the highest views are things like we had to go naked. And, uh, Even if you don't go naked, but it just suggests something like that and then the video just goes up, you know what I mean? And, it's just, uh, Bikini shots with thumbnails certainly do work. I'm yeah. sorry, uh, the YouTube mail is quite uh, thin. Really. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
<laughs> you have um, your friend there too. Yeah. So so it, there is no rhyme or reason as far as other than the fact that if it's sexy, then it might sell. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think actually, <laughs> what what you what you generally uh, what you want to do is you want to uh, give a professional program as professional as you can make it, uh, and that's in the the filming of it and the editing of it, and actually have a story for your program. I was looking at a survey only this morning, and uh, out of all the things that people could rate a program for, the storyline was the most important. And you need to be a likable couple. People need to buy into you. Yeah. They're not just uh, happy to uh, see a grumpy old man uh, talk about uh, how to get a spanner out to fix the seacocks uh, uh, or something. You know, they actually want to 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 buy into your people. So you can actually start to build up a loyal audience, yeah. and that's really you need to sell your personality. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can't have every week come out with a program. Or in our case, three times a week come out with a program. Although we have to go take it, you know. I mean, it just doesn't. It doesn't work. You know? It's not sustainable. What is the so that you can tell the uh, people where to find you on either Instagram, YouTube, all these things? Where what's the best way? So to our website is www.sailingoceanfox.com. Uh, you can find us on YouTube at Sailing Ocean Fox, uh, and you can find us on Facebook and Instagram too at Sailing Ocean Fox. Great. So it's a consistent brand. That's yes. helpful. Um, yes. <laughs> and uh, what are your plans going forward for this decade? Uh, well, the next thing uh, we have, actually, I'm going to let you in on a secret, uh, put the boat on the market because we want to uh, go for something slightly longer. But uh, where how, sorry, how many how many feet or meters <laughs> is your boat currently right now? It's 40 feet. It's 40 foot at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Which um, is a decent size. Time. I mean, it's not. Oh, that it is. Yeah, yeah. It's more than uh, big enough to live on. I mean, uh, we've got two hulls. So one hull on the starboard side, we use we use the whole hull. It's uh, it's got a, a king size bed and then a whole dressing room area and then a bathroom and a shower room. So uh, we've got plenty of space. And on the other side of the boat, there's two uh, double cabins and another. Uh, set of toilets and showers. It's just a few things like uh, the galley, the kitchen. I would like it to have yeah. a bit bigger because yeah. uh, I cook a lot. We cook yeah. all our meals on the boat. So, uh, yeah. But if um, if everything goes according to plan, uh, we're going to stay here in Portugal until um, the end of the year because um, crossing the Atlantic uh, basically took us three months with all the bits and pieces and we found it terribly exhausting and so we want to have a bit of a rest and just kind of enjoy the scenery because it is absolutely stunning uh, but going forward after the new year we'd like to go up uh, to the Balearic Islands again which are uh, Mallorca, Ibiza and Minorca, uh, the Spanish islands and because uh, they were absolutely stunning we really didn't uh, spend enough yeah, time, enough there. time there, yes. yeah we'd like to do that yeah. and uh if we have time and the weather treats us well we'd like to go up into the black sea uh which is right up through istanbul um for the middle of next summer and uh for the winter next year we would like to go down to the red sea through the Suez canal you should go to Yalta right there. It's Where's beautiful. That? I've never heard of it. Yalta is right in the Crimea. In okay. the, well, yeah. it was Ukraine. I guess now it's a yeah. de facto Russia. Yeah. But since you're going into the Black Sea, you go to Istanbul, then you just... Yeah. I took a boat. It was a three-day journey, if I remember correctly. It was a motorboat. No, sorry. Was it an overnight? I can't remember if it was one night or two nights. Anyway, it just went from... Um, it wasn't Odessa. I went from, I, th I think it was Odessa, sorry, Odessa to Istanbul or it was Istanbul. Anyway, whatever. It's 
it's a nice boat ride. <laughs> uh, okay. We'll, we'll uh, keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah. Since you're there, I mean, it's just it'd be fun to. But I don't know. Again, the, what I imagine is the challenge is always is is having visas. A lot of places yeah, may not be, have visas. You have to get arrival. a visa for Russia. Yeah. yeah. Right, right, right. Um, and uh, that might be a little bit complicated because they'd have to really know we were coming. Uh, we we couldn't just rock up. I don't think. Yeah. Right. And from now right. and from now we have another problem, which is COVID nineteen. So we will yeah. have to deal with that too. Yeah, we have so, to deal with that. And how, also, how does that? So that just affects where you can go internationally, but it doesn't really affect you too much, other than you can't invite random people on the boat without um, having social some distancing. Some countries are well. closed, so yeah, some really countries go. are closed. And uh, to say, for example, uh, when we were in the in the Bahamas, uh, when it really struck COVID nineteen. Um, they were in complete lockdown. We weren't even allowed off, allowed off the boat, not even to go and uh, get uh, provisions from the supermarket or gas or fuel or anything. So, and, what were you supposed? How would you get food? I mean, what do you uh, do? well, we had to sneak ashore. Basically, we had to go and find a remote <laughs> place, uh, take the dinghy, uh, beach it, and then uh, try and hitchhike to a supermarket. It was all a bit uh, undercover. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we got caught once, but the guy told us uh, yeah, we weren't allowed to do this, but he wasn't going to uh, say anything. Yeah. Wow. Um, and when we got to Bermuda, they were in lockdown there, and uh, we had to spend 14 days in lockdown on the boat. We weren't allowed to go to shore for anything, but they would bring supplies to the boat. Unfortunately for us, we uh, I've got a friend who lives in Bermuda, and he managed to uh, send us out some cases of wine and rum, so we were quite lucky there. <laughs> uh, but they 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 did seem to uh, uh, work out that at the end of the fourteen days, we were free to walk around, and um, it took to the nineteenth day for them to finally agree that we would. Uh, and we had to call the British Embassy yeah, to help us. Yeah, we had to get the British Embassy involved to basically. Mm. Uh, kick ass, yeah. And uh, when we were the only tourists on the island, and wow. uh, we stayed there for about another four weeks, which was absolutely fantastic because Bermuda is expensive but a beautiful island, absolutely beautiful. Right, right. Amazing. Well, I'm very excited to to hear about your journey, and I wish you the best. I hope you get a lot of subscribers onto YouTube. Uh, continue that uh, journey. I know making videos is a lot, a lot of work. And yeah, some people, I think, to the laptop for ten hours today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People just don't realize how much, especially if you want to do any kind of editing at all. If you want to, yeah. you know, put some sort of text on it, or even if you want to link, you know, show other related videos. It's just a ton of ton of work, and people just consume it in let's say two three minutes, and then they don't realize all the work that went into it. So yeah. I congratulate yeah. you for doing that. Yeah. I hope it it works out really well for you, yeah. Thank and you. that Thank you. you keep sailing. And uh, so you're going to upgrade yourself from a forty yeah. foot boat to uh, a we're, we're going to go longer um uh, decision hasn't been made we're yet. not sure yet how, how <laughs> oh. much longer oh. we go last question this is a question i've been asking many people but i never seem to get like a definitive answer and i don't think i'll get it from you either but i'll try um so here's my crazy idea i want i i, I want to do some boat arbitrage and so i imagine there's parts of the world let's say the exact same boat is let's say more is in the european uh peninsula or whatever the european the mediterranean sea and that exact same boat maybe could be found in thailand for much cheaper or vice versa so in other words there's an arbitrage opportunity in the sense that you could buy the boat in the place that's cheap sail it to the place that's expensive and sell it there exactly you see what i mean you buy word so, in uh turkey uh, so that there's no VAT involved because in European we have value added tax. So if you buy one in Turkey, uh, you buy a charter boat there, 
and uh, you sail it to uh, 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 one of the big French islands or uh, the US Virgin Islands or uh, uh, Florida and you sell it there and uh, with a little bit of careful planning I could almost guarantee you'll make a profit. Aha, so you are the first Simon person, you're the mm. first person. To actually I have actually thought question. about doing it. Um, and it's, uh, it is a possibility that we may set ourselves a task to uh, uh, buy a boat, uh, uh, kit it out as much as we need to, to get ourselves across the Atlantic and uh, sell it at the other end and see whether we can make a profit. And I, I think the answer is yes, you would. And the other place, of course, is to take it to Australia and New Zealand because they love European boats there. And uh, everybody I've ever spoken to has said that they've sold their boat for a profit if they sell it down there. Wonderful. Uh, so that's the secret. Uh, and I uh, appreciate your time and we will be in touch and I'll share your boat. So what last time you remind the visitors where to find you? You can find us at Sailing Ocean Fox uh, on all platforms. That includes Facebook, Instagram and on the web. And that concludes this episode of the Wander Learn podcast, where we explore travel, technology, and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we talked about, or if you'd like to comment on the show, or if you'd like to ask me a question, then go to wanderlearn.com and click on this episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember FTAPON. That's my first initial and my last name. FTAPON is the username I use on all social media. You can also get to my website by going to ftapon.com. And here's one last reason to remember FTAPON. If you like what I do and would like to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash FTAPON. That's where you can pick up some remarkable rewards for as little as $2 a month. And now for five quick favors. Number one, subscribe to the WanderLearn podcast. Two, download it. Three, share it. Four, review it somewhere. And five, sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. Our theme music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon encouraging you to wander and learn.